Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. Hi, Katie. Hi, Keith. We're actually physically in the same room. We are, indeed. Well, then, yeah, Look maybe at that. We, we, maybe we've been fooling people for the past few weeks. Probably they? not, because we bring up all the time yeah. that we are in different countries, etc. All right. <laughs> I didn't mention the country thing until you That did. was me. That was you. <laughs> um, but that just means that this podcast is going to be even more spectacular than That's ever. correct. Because it's, it's going to be, the, the, the repartee is going to be so... You can feel the energy in the room, you guys. Yes, I can see it. It's in <laughs> colors. That could just be the coffee. Um, all right. Well, anyways, um, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how BTS celebrates its sixth number one album on the Billboard 200 chart with its retrospective compilation, Proof, just as the South Korean pop group announced it was going on a hiatus. And how Joji charts his first top 10 and top 40 hit on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart with Glimpse of Us. And Carrie Underwood keeps up her streak of top 10 charting albums on the Billboard 200 as her latest effort, Denim and Rhinestones, marks her 10th consecutive top 10 album, which is the entirety of her charting efforts. Go Carrie. Also on the show, we're breaking down what we know about Beyonce's recently announced album Renaissance due out on July 29th, plus our first impressions of the diva's just released new song, Break My Soul. Also, Drake dropped a surprise album last Friday, honestly, never mind, and the dance leaning set could mark the superstar's 11th number one album on the Billboard 200. What do we make of the new direction for Drake's sound? We'll talk about that in a second. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. All right. Let's do the chart chat. Well, that is a new cheer. Come on, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Let's do the chat. The chat about the charts. It's the coffee. I'm telling you. Oh it's my coffee. God. I'm on my second cup. <laughs> All right. First up, BTS's new compilation album, Proof, debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 chart, uh, garnering the pop group its sixth chart topper. 
the retrospective, don't call it a greatest hits, mm -hmm. consisting mostly of previously released material, bows with 314,000 equivalent album units earned in the United States in the week ending June 16th, according to Luminate. The overwhelming majority of that unit figure was driven by CD album sales. What year is it? Uh, it's 2000? <laughs> I think so. Imagine if BTS existed in the year 2000. Oh, man. Imagine them on TRL. Oh, man. They were built for TRL. Oh, my God. They built. Were, they were just in the wrong the wrong time. <laughs> the wrong era. The wrong era. <laughs> or the right era, depending on how you look Correct. at it. Correct. Um, the anthology was released. Also, I want to point out, like I said, don't call it a greatest hits because they have not called it a greatest hits. It's called an anthology album, and there are three brand new songs, one song, new song on each of the three discs. And uh, then otherwise, the reason it's not exactly a greatest hits is because the members actually handpicked favorite things throughout the years that maybe are deep cuts or not so, you know, not not the biggest ones that you all know. And also it's it's easier to kind of not portray this as a greatest hits because there's actually legitimate hits missing off of it. Correct. Like uh, My Universe isn't on it, and that was a number one hit with yep. Coldplay. Yep. Um, all right, well, the anthology was released on June 10th, just four days before the group announced an indefinite hiatus. There's a lot of... There's a lot of controversy around this word, Keith. Well, is it because that, it, so the, the, I, I saw that we did a story, then there was a lot of controversy around the word hiatus, but I was watching the video of BTS talking amongst themselves, and the translation at the bottom of the screen was the word hiatus. So yeah. is that just bad translation? That's what um, Hybe, the, the uh, group that, um, you know. Releases BTS music. Yeah, they have said the translation. They have said it's not a hiatus. They're like, don't call who, it a hiatus. Who translated the video? Oh, uh, I'm sure. Hi I'm sure somebody from their camp did, but I don't okay, think well that they... It's uh, yeah, it's, it's clearly a break. Yeah. It is clearly a pause. And so I think we're getting into semantics, but it's also, they're like a publicly traded company. So they're getting into semantics because if their biggest asset goes on a hiatus, that means their biggest asset is not earning them big asset oh, money. Their, their biggest <laughs> asset's going to keep on earning assets. Oh, yeah, Don't absolutely. You worry. Because they said they're going on the hiatus to focus on solo projects. Right, yes. So they're going to focus on solo ventures because uh, also I want to point out that this group has seven members. They were formed in 2010, which I don't think a lot of people realize. Yeah, I agree. And they made their U.S. Billboard chart debut in 2013. And in the course of their career so far, they have tallied 15 entries on the Billboard 200 albums chart. Wow. Um, some more fun facts and details. Proof registers the year's biggest week for an album by a group, both in units earned and in album sales. And the only larger week overall this year was the debut frame of Harry Styles' Harry House, Harry's House, mm -hmm. with 521,000 units, of which 330,000 were in album sales. Um, I've yet to actually tell you how many copies that Proof has sold. <laughs> I should probably do that. Uh, hold on. Let me do that right now. Okay. So of Proof's 314,000 equivalent album units, album sales comprised 266,000. And of that number, about 259,000 were in CD album sales. Wow. We actually... Uh just put an article up on Billboard.com about where to buy a CD player. 
<laughs> That's something people need to know now. <laughs> um, so you might be wondering, why did the CD sell so well? Well, as is typical with many K-pop releases, the CD edition of the album was issued in elaborate collectible packages. There are two CD variants uh, available in total. There's a $24 version and a $70 version. Uh, specific retailers may have sale priced them for less, but it depends on where you bought it. Um, both have the same track list, just different packaging and internal paper goods, such as booklets and posters. Each album, uh, each version of the album also contains randomized elements like photo cards and postcards. Uh, so like, you know, there could be one of seven different collectible photo cards think like baseball cards and you don't know which version of mm -hmm. the postcard or the photo card you're getting so like if you really want rm and you get the album and you open it up and it's actually not rm on the photo card maybe you go buy a second one mm -hmm. to see if you get the card you maybe want. you do um Pricey CD albums are not new for BTS. The act's last new studio album, which was 2020's B, was initially available in only two retail formats, a $9 digital album and a $50 CD. Wow. Yeah. And wasn't, on proof, wasn't there... Um Something that was available only on CD yeah, as part of this package. The the CD for Proof was um uh, the so the, the the CD edition of Proof was three CDs and the third disc, um all but one of the tracks were exclusively available on the CD right and it was mostly like demo recordings right whereas digitally and streaming it was just the first two CDs yeah basically so if you wanted to hear that you literally needed to buy the CD until someone rips them and puts them on YouTube <laughs> well fair enough <laughs> I mean I don't know so it's funny, it was only a couple of weeks ago that we talked about on the podcast um, what groups we wanted to get back together. And little did we know that BTS was about to announce their own hiatus. Um, and obviously we talked on that episode about a lot of these groups claiming they were on hiatus but have been inactive for quite some time. So do we truly think that this is a hiatus for BTS or that there's a world where BTS doesn't record more music together. I don't think there's a world where BTS doesn't make more music together. I think what, what's going to happen is that the seven of them are going to pursue individual projects and yeah. individual albums and that we will continue to see uh, repurposing and repackaging of their catalog of material. And who knows, maybe there's a live album from their recent stadium shows yep. that has like a Blu-ray attached to it oh. and like, you know, multi-camera views, 20 different views, pick the ones you want, but you don't know which one you're getting uh, until you open up the box. But it is exciting because um, even before the the break was announced, um, Lollapalooza announced that J-Hope would be a headliner by himself, just J-Hope. Um, and so the writing was sort of on the wall there because that has to be the biggest look, I would think, so far in the U.S. It is the first time that um, a K-pop act has headlined a U.S. Uh, festival, one of the mainstream festivals. So there, there's an opportunity, there's a world where these seven individuals are going to go out and book a gig as big as headlining Lollapalooza by themselves. And they're all out there in the world doing massive things, independent of one another. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So mm -hmm. anyway, there's a lot to look forward to on that front for ARMY, I'm sure. Um, but one of the things that Keith pointed out when we were putting this show together is that with BTS forming in 2010, they've actually been together for 12 years, which in the world of boy bands is is quite lengthy. Yeah. When you start comparing it to some big groups like One Direction, who we spoke about on that show, 
they formed in 2010 on the X Factor UK, and then they uh, went on their hiatus in January 2016. And so at that point, they had already lost a member. They'd already lost a member, and we're talking about under six year run with everything that they did, and then obviously, like you know. Um, their members have gone out and done individual things as well. And Sync, who also have never truly broken up, they formed in 1995 and they. Uh, put out their last release in 2002 um that is they they have had like little things here and there right um since then but they have been on hiatus for 20 years 20 years <laughs> i don't think bts army who are listening i don't think you have to worry about a 20 year break between releases but uh what about the beatles keith talk thought- about their longevity their first single release was in 1961 uh, they didn't have their big sort of American breakthrough until 1964, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then um, the group didn't really start to break up officially until mid-1970 when Paul McCartney left the group in April of 1970. And then they filed for the dissolution or he filed for the dissolution of the partnership um, in December of 1970. So, you know, when you look at the span of time that the Beatles like, you know, uh, Paul, Ringo and George were together and then Ringo later joined. It was actually a fairly sizable amount of time, but in terms of what we knew of them in America, it was basically 64 to 70, yeah. which is a really short amount of yes. time. Think of like, how long were the Supremes together? It's like, well, they've had their big breakthrough like in like 63, 64. They were together before then, but then they broke up at the end of 1969. Yeah. But we just think of these artists have been around for like a million years. Like actually, they did a lot in a relatively short amount of time. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that's kind of interesting to think about in terms of BTS is that a lot of the K-pop groups that we know are are basically um, groups that were formed by sort of larger entities mm-hmm. that are, you know, contracted with Whether them. it's a TV show or a company putting a group together, that's how it's, a lot it, of the K-pop groups form. It's a very different kind of um, structure in how... Uh, pop music is made and marketed in Korea. And so we don't, you know, so it's kind of like, think of it probably, it's similar to how acts are formed on reality television Mm -hmm. in America. One Direction probably had a contract. They were contracted for a certain amount of time, for a certain amount of work, and, you know, just like Kelly Clarkson, when she won American Idol, she was contracted, you know, with Sony and her recording contract for a certain amount of time to give them a certain amount of work. Um, These are things that people don't like to talk about because it makes you think of, like, oh, commercial things and contractual negotiations and business and art and commerce. I'm like, yeah, but it's... They're businesses. These are businesses. I mean, I just talked about the BTS situation affecting the stock market in Korea. Right. You know, like these are business operations. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next. And, you know, the the fact that they've been together for so long and have achieved so much, mm-hmm. the fact that they want to try to do other stuff, I think that's expected. And I think also maybe, you know, they're looking at it going like, look how much bigger we could be if there's seven of us all creating music at the same time. Totally. Separately. I mean, they're already wildly prolific, but now you got seven different entities out there releasing things. Seven different stadium tours. Exactly. (laughs) Um, All right. So should we move on, maybe? Yeah. You know, I know somebody else who won American Idol, and her name is... Not Jennifer Hudson. <laughs> not Je- no, she did not win. As I got it wrong last <laughs> week. Uh, well, next up, Carrie Underwood keeps up her perfect streak of top 10 albums on the Billboard 200 as her new studio album, Denim and Rhinestones, bows at number 10 
In total, it's her 10th top 10 album on the Billboard 200, the entirety of her charting efforts, stretching back to her 2005 debut album, Some Hearts. Did you know Some Hearts did not hit number one? Oh, I didn't. Debuted and picked at number two behind... Can you guess? Mm, no. Madonna's Confessions on a Dance Floor. Oh, well, I should have I known. I mean, <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably the reason why I can immediately think of it. Um, well, with the debut of Denim and Rhinestones at number 10, Carrie ties fellow country queen Reba McIntyre for the most top 10 country albums on the Billboard 200 chart among female wow. artists. Wow. You may think, but doesn't Taylor have a bunch? Yes, she does, but not all of those were technically were country, country albums. country, yeah. All right, lastly, uh, while Harry Styles, as it was, holds firm at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart for a seventh week, Joji clocks his first top 10 hit. Heck, it's his first top 40 hit on the chart with a debut of Glimpse of Us at number 10. The track is heavily driven by its streaming activity as it bows at number six on the streaming songs chart with 18.3 million streams in its first week. The ballad is Joji's first release since his second album, 2020's Nectar. And last week, Billboard wrote about the track on uh, Billboard.com, calling it, quote, worth the wait, uh, end quote, and described it as a, quote, bare-boned, eye-watering ballad about hoping to find a glimpse of us in a new relationship, only to realize he's searching for something that's no longer there. Well, isn't that poetic? Yeah. Is that from 10 cool new pop songs this week? It was. It was. <laughs> Check uh, out that feature on Billboard.com. I did my research and everything. <laughs> well, nine months after Certified Lover Boy, Drake delivered yet another new album, Honestly Nevermind, on Friday. For his seventh LP, Drizzy went against his typically very well-calculated ways to announce the surprise album just hours before it landed on streaming services. Um, the last time he pulled a surprise release was for If You're Reading This, It's Too Late, back in 2015. Uh, Drake elected to keep his album shorter this time as well. Uh, 14 songs, which is small for a Drake album. The other surprise? It's a house album. He just did a whole dance album. None of these things were expected. And speaking of house, Beyonce also announced news of her hey, seventh album again, titled Renaissance, out July 29th. And on Monday, she dropped the very first song from the project called Break My Soul. And it's a house song. I'm just saying, like, what is going on? So, Keith, let's talk about these two superstars coming out of hibernation at the exact same time. And let's start with Beyonce's song, um, which came out late Monday night. So we're recording Tuesday morning so we would have proper time to, like, digest this song. And I would happily love to start and just say it's it's so good. <laughs> I love it so much. I immediately uh, heard Big Frida's voice chanting at me. And the beat is just so good. It's such a throwback. It's so 90s. It is just it's a it's the poppiest song I think Beyonce's put out in a long time too it, like I can hear it on the radio I can hear it on the dance floor it's just a smash hit song to me Keith what were your thoughts when you heard it um I I wrote well now I, I now I need to go like, revisit your notes yeah like um I posted um on Instagram last week so when Beyonce announced the album last week and then also announced that she was on the cover of British Vogue, I thought the photo shoot itself was perhaps giving clues as to what the album mm. may sound like. 
Um, one image of her is in sort of this silver number where she's like in sort of a floofy sleeved silver kind of aluminum foil thing with like a some hot pants and uh, big sort of thigh high silver boots and she's on a light up dance floor and I'm like oh you're like the dance album is coming I was like she's channeling LaBelle hot pants Grace Jones Saturday Night (laughs) Fever she has a light up dance floor Um, another picture is of her she's in mega platform glitter boots sitting atop a huge disco ball and I said if these photos are any any indication of the actual music on the album this could actually be really dance-tastic and this first single is very throwback house music, house pop dance music yep. from the 90s. Like, you know, this would completely fit in with like a Robin S. Show Me Love. Robin S., Crystal Waters. Like, it's just giving all the 90s house and I'm loving it. Right. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it's and it also I think after a number of projects from Beyonce that were very, um, I think people would p- position them as serious and um, artistic artistic and adventurous i think this is very just footloose and fancy free pop dance yes. beyonce and and it's i think i think it's probably been a moment where we we've we've had this kind of beyonce single well and i mean she says it right in the lyrics like you know we're back outside and i feel like she mm. was like We've been holed up, like, forget my art for a second. Let me just make a joyous song, album, et cetera. I mean, we'll find out what the album sounds like. Right, this could be but the one. Exactly, sort of it could be a track. total standout. Everything but balance. Totally. But, um, <laughs> but, like, she says right there in the lyrics, like, we are back outside. And it's like, oh, yeah, she's, like, taking us outside. She's putting us in the club. And I love the entire thing. Um, I, I'm so excited what, like, for what the rest of the album is going to sound like after hearing this. And I also feel like, you know, she hasn't had a number one on our Hot 100 since Single Ladies was her last number one. So that was a long time ago and also perhaps arguably the last time she put out what might be considered like a dance song. I mean, that's like a dance floor filler at a wedding. It's not like it's an EDM song or something, but it's a dancey song. And it feels like that is what, that's definitely a formula that works for, for Beyonce. Like the, I mean, she just made a a pop hit, in my opinion, and so it'll be interesting to see if our charts reflect like that it is as popular as it sounds like it could be, you right. know. Right. So we shall see. Um, but back to Drake for a moment. Um, he did not put out a rap album. This is a. This is Katie's opinion. <laughs> this is a dance album. Uh, yeah, this is totally my opinion. Um, I feel like people were like, at least people I saw on social media were weirdly like surprised by this album more than I would have expected they should be because this sound is not foreign to Drake. I mean, it actually had a lot of like the Afrobeat sounds he pulls from. It had like, it actually made me think specifically of the song passion fruit from more life, which was a minor hit. It wasn't a huge hit for Drake, but it was like a radio song single. And, um, I loved that song. And this album to me sounds like it's a full album just of passion fruit. Like Mm. that's what it sounds like to me. And I loved passion fruit. Therefore I think this album is amazing. 
And this is what I would choose if I could like, you know, if I could, you know, put Drake on a course, this is the course that I would have put him on. And it seems like from I'm not I, I don't know if that's a popular opinion because it sounds like other people might have kept him on a little bit more of a hip hop rap trap course, etc. than what how I like my Drake. But Keith, what have you been seeing out there? Or what do you think of this dance Drake? This isn't too far away from kind of the rhythmically up-tempo kind of beat-driven songs that we've heard in the past. From if you just if if you only hold on, we're going if, home. If you only know big Drake hits, mm-hmm. think okay, one dance and Hotline Bling. Yeah, imagine if you just had an album that was mostly those kind of sonics, but maybe a little bit little bit leaning more into house. And I was talking to Katie Bain, who's our, our dance director, and I was asking her um, her her thoughts on it. And she was pointing out how Drake uh, worked with a lot of sort of left of field kind of dance producers on this. So it wasn't like he was working with his typical crew of people and they were like mimicking what house music should sound like or dance music should sound like. He was going out of his way to work with people from the, the dance, dance world. world. Yeah. There's a great, Katie did a great article on, oh, okay. on Billboard that it's like six, uh, six dance artists that Drake worked with on this album. So check that out if you want some more information on those credits. But I, who do we want a dance album from now? Taylor Swift? <laughs> well, it's, it's, that's the shocking part of this, like the timing of it all. And I mean, I wonder, also I if Beyonce and Drake talk to one another, be like, yo, I mean, it feels like Jay-Z is like the common link between these two, <laughs> but I don't know if like Jay-Z and Drake are so close that like Drake's playing music for Jay-Z early and, and then you know Jay-Z's who, you know, like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, you know who would have heard Drake's album, Adele. Oh, because right? of um, because they're like BFFs. Okay, that's possible. Because Drake heard Adele's album a long time, and ago. she's Beyonce's number one fan. <gasps> what was there like a dinner party with like Beyonce, Jay, Drake, and Adele? All Everyone just like, was like, out. "Let's do dance now, guys." Like, they, all pulled, they all pulled out their like cassette boom boxes and put them on the table. Should dance be the move next? Like it should, the timing is wild. The and stadium tour with Adele, Beyonce, and Drake together. <laughs> I don't know why I'm just it's the coffee I'm telling and you. it well so it was funny too when because you know Beyonce made the first move of announcing when Renaissance would come out but then Drake dropped the surprise album like hours after her announcement yeah. and then it's like oh okay so they won't conflict because he put the whole album out now except for the song is now out so my my next question is because we're talking about the chart prospects for uh beyonce like what you know could she get back to you know her uh next number one since single ladies um but also drake could potentially, I mean, when Drake puts out an album, he frequently goes to number one with a song from that album. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I wonder. I, I think it looks like the track that is kind of at least initially gaining the most attention was actually the most conventional track on the album, the one with, I think, 21 Savage on it. Is that, okay. Is that the one I'm thinking of, the very last track on the album? Well, that's not the one that I've been seeing like on my streaming, like my oh. playlist, though. The one that's been playlisted has been, one moment. Okay, so Falling Back is the one that has been playlisted for me. But to your point, Jimmy Cooks seems to be the one that is, has some heat behind it, yeah. which is the 14th track on the album. Yeah, the one that basically just sounds like a typical Drake rap song. Okay, well, um, there you go. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll, I mean, I don't know. Does this mean he's going to have like 10 out of the top 10 on the Hot 100? 
Or it might not be a release like that, though, no. maybe, which is maybe why he decided on the surprise release, because he wasn't trying to, you know, to bake, like get the motive or the um, momentum all like worked up because he knew this wasn't that kind of album. Yeah. It's you know, like when Taylor did Folklore, it's like, well, you better like sort of change your expectations on what this is going to be, because maybe people won't receive this in sort of a typical mm-hmm. huge fashion. And if Drake is doing something that is a little bit left of center for him, then it may have a, it may react differently. But it does feel likely that it would debut at number one on the Billboard 200 I albums just, chart. I Maybe, just, yes. I, look, I just assume that it would right. because it's Drake. Yeah. And Drake normally has number one albums. Yeah. Kind of like you assume that Beyonce will be number one with her album. I don't even know what's on it. You just assume that yeah. it will be. And even if this isn't uh, the Drake fans' cup of tea, they gave it a curiosity listen, if nothing else. Right. Now, I mean, yeah, I haven't looked at sort of the daily streams and if it's just fallen off a cliff since Friday right. or Saturday. I'm still listening, Keith. Maybe this is more up your alley than a typical Drake album. I think it is. I don't know. <laughs> um, it will be interesting to see as we talk about Beyonce. Uh, you know, she, like, you know, does this, is this song, because it's more sonically um, kind of um, kind of poppy, dancey, mainstream-ish and sort of joyful, uh, does that mean that it's going to be like be immediately embraced by radio and streaming playlists? People are going to add it to their own personal playlists. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like a big summer anthem. Oh, I mean, God, I want to hear this on the beach. Yes, yes. Like I want to hear it on the beach, at home with the kids, going to work. Did you think in the about? Car. Did you think about um, quitting your job at Billboard after listening to it? Release your job. Release. <laughs> release your trade. Really, <laughs> just dying over the whole song is so good. And I, there's a. I feel like we should do a list of songs. That is about like, it's like really rich people doing songs about like um, your job being really hard. <laughs> like, oh, I have to do that forty hour a, w- a week job. I gotta quit this job. They work me too hard. It's like Beyonce. When did you ever work? <laughs> like, we weren't at like Orange Julius when you were like in high school. <laughs> hey, we don't know how difficult it is to be Beyonce and work as hard as she does. Very true, but she she's writing it in the context that will be relatable to her fans. Right. You know, she's she's writing it as if she's like working in an office or something. It's hilarious to me. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. Thirty-five years ago, Whitney Houston's "I Want to Dance with Somebody" (parenthetical) who loves me hit number one on the Hot 100, her fourth of eleven number ones. The joyful track, there's that word again, <laughs> jumped three to one on the chart dated June 27, 1987, and spent two weeks atop the list. The song was an instant smash hit, debuting at number 38 on the May 16, 1987 chart. At the time, that was the highest debut in nearly two years. Back then, it wasn't frequent that a song would debut in the top 40, owed to how the chart itself was compiled and how music was consumed. You know, uh, it was very difficult for a song to have coast-to-coast instant success because media just didn't work the way it does today. Correct. Fun fact, of the 90 songs that had previously debuted in the top 40 of the chart, 
before I want to dance with somebody. A full 40% of them eventually reached number one. Wow. Huge indicator of a hit. It was a pretty sensible thing to assume Whitney, who had already had three number ones to her credit, would likely sail to number one with I Want to Dance with Somebody following its top 40 debut. The song was the lead single from Houston's second album, the simply titled Whitney. The set would make history as the first album by a woman to debut at number one on the Billboard 200 chart and only the fifth album overall to do so. The next album by a woman to debut at number one would not come until 1993 when Janet Jackson's Janet album opened atop the list. The Whitney album would generate a total of five top 10 hits on the Hot 100, four of which hit number one. In addition to I Want to Dance with Somebody, she also topped the chart with Didn't We Almost Have It All, So Emotional, and Where Do Broken Hearts Go? What an album. I know. Just nothing but nothing but hits. Those, hmm. those, those, those first two albums are just basically greatest hits albums on their own. Also, every time you hear a Whitney song title, you just want to sing it. Like, Oh, I know. <laughs> this, did, did didn't we almost have it all really did it to me? I just wanted to break into it. Where do broken hearts go? <laughs> all right, so there you have it. 35 years ago this week, I want to dance with somebody who loves me. Hit number one on the Hot 100. We've reached the end of our show. Do you have any parting words, Katie? Because I have some parting words. I would love to hear your parting words, words, Keith. Well, I want to mention the passing of Joel Whitburn. Oh, yes. Uh, He was a landmark chart historian and founder of Record Research. Uh, He died last week at the age of 82. Before there was Wikipedia, before there was Twitter accounts dedicated to chart statistics, before there were chart managers like me, before there was Billboard.com, well, there probably were chart managers back in the day, <laughs> but before there was like, you know, Billboard.com chronicling every move on the charts, there was Joel. He was a man who uh, turned his hobby, his love for music charts, into a business. He launched his first book dedicated to the minutia of the charts. It was called Top Pop Singles in 1970. Uh, These were research books uh, to some dry stats-driven sort of huge sort of encyclopedia-type things that were basically reference materials. To others, like me, they were like holding the history of uh, charted popular music in your hand. Joel and Billboard cut a licensing deal in 1970 for the exclusive publishing rights to mine the Billboard charts. And it's a deal that continues to this day. For decades, truly the only way most people knew where anything peaked at on the charts was thanks to the bookkeeping and research that Joel and his company did. Also, he apparently coined the phrase peak position. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, This was all pre-internet and pre-computers. If you wanted to confirm how well something did on the charts, you checked the Whitburn books. Literally everyone who owns the record research books, and there are now hundreds of them, counting reprints and updated volumes, calls them the Whitburn books. His name is on the spine of basically every one of them. Today, my desk at Billboard, 
uh, has 30 different Whitburn books that I regularly reference when researching information for the stories that I write and all of the assistance that I provide the editorial staff at Billboard when they are researching information for their stories about the charts. In a statement, uh, Billboard's SVP of Charts and Data Development, Silvio Pietrolongo, said, Billboard could not have asked for a better representative to document the history of our charts than Joel Whitburn. His passion and innovation led to the creation of what is literally the encyclopedia of music popularity, record research, without which the Billboard team and most in the industry would be hard-pressed to provide the historical context that we do on a daily basis. So That's nice. We'll miss you, Joel, and we, we love everything that you did, and we love everything that your company will continue to do. Absolutely. I, I think um, when I was in high school, I bought um, – Rhino Records put out uh, compilation albums that were uh, uh, basically based upon his research – and they were branded Billboard Top Hits, you know, presented by Joel Whitburn. Mm. And it was like the top hits of 1980. Like I had the one for 1980, 1981, 1982, <laughs> 1983. And um, I thought it was fascinating and I loved it. And then I think I bought, um, I, think I, I think my first Whitburn book I bought with my own money as a high school student. They were kind of expensive back in the day. They still are expensive. And I was just so fascinated by it. And then, you know, I started to buy books that Fred Bronson, of course, mm -hmm. wrote, you know, our, our former chart beat editor. And then, you know, I discovered that Billboard had all these charts and, you know, just set, you know, Joel's books uh, uh, sort of made people like me um, just light up, you know, yeah. inside, which I know sounds ridiculous. But... There are many, many more people like me that love the Billboard charts and love Joel's books. It so. was really nice to see the outpouring of love on, on Twitter uh, last week when we shared the sad news. Uh, Gary actually, in his mailbag article, wrote a little bit about people's um, responses to the news. And you are not alone in idolizing him, yeah. for sure. Um, I, I never got to meet Joel in person. Oh. I, 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 talked, I talked to him on the phone a few times. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but Silvio and Gary had met him in person mm -hmm. before, and I think they went to even a, like a baseball game with him at some oh, point cool. when he visited the New York office a few years ago. Um, so anyway, I thought um, as we close out the show, I thought I was reading through some previous interviews with Joel, and he did an interview with Gary Trust, my equivalent in New York. Uh, he did an interview with Gary Trust a number of years ago, and Gary was asking him about his favorite music and his favorite artists. And he mentioned that his all-time favorite girl group was the Shirelles. Aww. And I thought we could go out on one of the Shirelles' number one hits, which was Will You Love Me Tomorrow, uh, their number one from 1961. I love that. So we're going to go out on that, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.